and smile at somebody real big. Let them know you're glad to see them. All in proper social distancing, of course. Amen. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we're so glad you've joined us tonight. Part of Grace Church, part of what God's doing here. And I just believe that before the evening is over, you're going to be blessed by the Word of God and what happens here on the Grace Church campus. God bless you. Let's pray together. Welcome the presence of God into the house tonight. Jesus, we are so thankful for an opportunity tonight to gather in your presence to worship you in one accord, to study your word, to draw closer to you. God, I already know you are here. I already know your anointing is here, but I just pray you would anoint our minds and our hearts to receive and let us leave closer to you, better Christians, more equipped to serve you and make a difference in our world in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, just remind you quickly that uh, there, there's, if, you're on, if you're watching online, there's three ways to give on the, um, on the website. You can give. You can text your gift. You can also mail your gift to the Grace Church, to the P.O. Box there on the, on the screen. If you're here on campus, you'll have an opportunity to give on your way out. Right in Grand Central in the lobby there is a place for you to drop your tithe and offering. And we appreciate your generosity to the kingdom of God, especially in these uncertain times. Um, God just has a way of blessing when we remain faithful, remain uh, true to our giving and true to our commitment. So thank you for that, and I know you'll be blessed. Amen. Amen. Let's just take a minute, and I'll remind you of a couple of things that are coming up, and I'm, I'm moving quickly. We want to give Pastor as much time as we possibly can for the Bible study tonight. Of course, don't forget the service at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Say Amen. Yeah, amen. I'm thankful that we're having church. We're able to have church. We're able to, to, to gather and worship. So Sunday, another opportunity at 11 o'clock. And then next Wednesday night, next Wednesday night, we're going to have Brother Jonathan Strickland, missionary to Ireland, in service with us. And so we're always blessed by the missionary services. Mark your calendar. Be a part of that. Sunday, July 19th is the blood drive. So that's coming up quickly in just a couple of weeks. Make preparations now. It's a great way to give, great way to be a part of something that really makes a difference. So put that on your calendar as well. And then um, one last announcement, Sister Ethel Tier would like to meet with all JV serve team and students immediately following the service tonight in classroom two. So if you're a JV serve team or a student, make a note of that. Sister Ethel's going to meet with you in classroom two. You got all that? Oh, man. Well, let me go back through it. Hang on. Let me. No, I'm just kidding. God bless you tonight. I hope that those things will be a blessing to you as they come up on the calendar and that you'll be a part of it. Looking forward to what Pastor has for us tonight. Would you just clap your hands and let's welcome Pastor to the pulpit tonight. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Dave. Great to see everybody. Um, our guest here tonight, welcome. We're so glad you're here tonight. And uh, we hope and trust, of course, that the service is a blessing to you. And um, I do want to mention one quick thing before we jump into Bible study. Um, have you ever noticed we, we got a lot of rain uh, last week, and I think we have some more rain coming over the next four or five days. It's in the forecast. But have you ever noticed when people are inside and they run to their car when it's raining, they squinch down like that. For those of you that were watching the kids instead of me, they squinch down like that and run to their car. And do um, you ever wonder why people do that? Are they worried about this part of their neck getting wet? And, uh, and then the funny thing is when they put the piece of paper over their head, that really helps. That does wonders. To prevent wetness to that one little small area of your head but I thought about it for people who part their hair if you don't want to get your hair wet you can just run to your car and put your ink pen out over your head and it'll keep your uh, part from getting wet <laughs> I said all of that to give a little time for everybody to to get on in the door and now we'll move along with Bible study we are glad to see all of you here tonight and um, I want to say a, a great, big, huge thank you uh, to Grace Church for all of your kindness to Sister Murphy's family, the passing of her dad, um, the service Monday, uh, the food afterwards, everything. All, everybody that helped and assisted with that, much, 
much appreciation and thanks to you. And uh, it's appreciated so very much by the Nixon family. Let's jump into our Bible study tonight. My purpose, we're studying the book of Revelation. And my purpose in this, and I want everybody to understand it, I, I, I don't desire to go into a long, in-depth study on the book of Revelation. It would take weeks and weeks. My purpose in this study is to show you the hereafter, as I understand it in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> I want to keep this as simple as I can. There are several chapters that I will not cover, and when I come to those chapters, I'll explain why when the time comes. There are several subjects I will not particularly get into, such as the study of the red heifer and the Temple Mount and the 144,000 and all of that. Again, I just want to show you what is going to be hereafter um, that's commonly believed in the book of Revelation. My purpose is to show you what is going to happen on this planet during the tribulation period after the church is raptured. And I do believe the church will be raptured before the tribulation period. I want to make sure, I want to make sure our young people, our young people, our moms and dads, I want to make sure everybody understands what's coming so you can make up your mind as to whether or not you want to go in the rapture or if you'd like to hang around and experience the tribulation period. I want to say something as kind as I can. You would be an utter fool to live in such a way that you're not ready for the rapture of the church because I believe it's imminent and I believe it could happen any day, any time. You need to hear your pastor tonight. This isn't a joke. And when you understand what's coming, and I'm going to introduce you to some of that tonight. We're going to touch just a little bit of that tonight. If you were not here for our first uh, study, which was when, this past Wednesday night a week ago, um, it would be really beneficial to you to go back and listen to that or watch that uh, via our website. So I can't do review. I don't have time. So we're going to start tonight in Revelation chapter 1. I want to suffice it to say that Revelation chapter 5 continues the vision that John was having in chapter 4. The raptured church is in heaven, I believe. It happened in chapter 4, verse 1. The raptured church is now in heaven, and it is symbolized by the 20 and 4 elders. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. John said, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. The book he is referring to is a scroll with seven messages on the inside, each of which has been sealed by the authority of God. Written within and on the back side, this is typical of various kinds of contracts in the ancient world, including deeds, marriage contracts, rental and lease agreements, wills, etc., the inside of the scroll contained all of the details of the contract, and the outside or back contained a summary of the document. In this case, it is almost certainly is a deed or the title deed to the earth. Sealed with seven seals indicates that Romans sealed their wills seven times on the edge of each roll, as you see on the screen, to prevent unauthorized entry. This scroll is feel to overflowing and has something even on the back that can mean the fullness of time or the fullness of time of the church age has come. Perhaps on the reverse side would be it is finished or the end. The sealed with seven seals just means that it is closed in completeness. These seals could be opened one at a time or all at once. As we proceed through the book of Revelation, you'll see that they're open one at a time. Uh, it could reveal uh, that particular content at that particular time. In verses 2 through 4, we'll read that in just a moment, only one with proper authority could open the book or the scroll by losing or removing its seals. The question is, 
Who has the right to do this? Who has the right to judge the world? That is to reveal what is hidden in the scroll and to execute what is written. No man, literally no one, could be found among mankind or even the angels who had the authority to remove the seals and read the scroll. In verse 2, John said, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. The term strong angel is the, uh, the identity of this angel is uncertain, but it may refer to the angel Gabriel, whose name means the strength of God. I believe the reason a strong angel is mentioned here is to show that all the earthly uh, and heavenly strength aside from God's cannot open this book or these seals, not even the church, which was redeemed by the blood of Calvary and as much power as the church had. They were not worthy to open up the seals of that book. The loud voice is as if this angel is calling out to see who will come forth to open the book. Verse 3, And no man in heaven nor in earth nor neither under the earth was able to open the book neither to look thereon. In heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, is a common biblical expression denoting the entire universe. In other words, there was no one that was worthy to open that book. I want to mention here quickly in passing, uh, if you're trying to take notes or whatever, I'm, I'm going quickly. I have a lot of material to cover. And it's hard to find a breaking point, a stopping point, and then pick it up later. So I'm going to have to cover all my material tonight. So if you want to take notes and what have you, I would encourage you to go back on the podcast and watch it. And then you can hit pause and write and, and, and do your own research and study and delve into this even more. <clears throat> if there's enough interest, we may can continue at a later date. We'll have to see. But there are some things that man cannot do. This one statement here shows that Jesus was and is no mere man. This says regardless of where he is located, man does not possess the power to open the book. There are some things like judgment that is reserved and only reserved for Jesus to do. So this seven-sealed scroll is thought to be the title deed to the earth. This powerful scene in heaven indicates that only Christ, who died to redeem mankind back to God, is qualified to open the seals of this scroll and to claim his kingdom over all the earth. The question is who has the right to judge the world? That is, to reveal what is hidden in the scroll and to execute what is written. No man, literally no man, could be found among mankind or angels who had the authority to remove the seals and execute what is in that scroll. So John said in verse 4, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. John began to cry because it seemed that there was no one to open this book. In fact, no one is worthy to even look at the book. Verses 5 through 7, the Bible said Christ is presented both as lion or ruler from the tribe of Judah. This stated in Genesis 49 verse 10. And he's also presented as a lamb or redeemer in Isaiah 53 verse 7 in John 129. The root of David shows a messianic connection with the covenant of David and the right of Christ to the throne of Israel. The vision of Christ here brings together the twofold aspect of his first and second comings. His work as Savior in the designation as Lamb and as Sovereign or King, um, is it has, Christ has the right to judge, possess, and rule the earth because of his submission to the death of the cross. So in verse 5, one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So remember the 24 elders were represent, representatives of the church. 
the church in heaven comforts John and says that we have found someone, the church has found someone, to open the scroll or book, Jesus saving us gives him that right. So quickly tonight, the Lion of the tribe of Judah designation, one of the earliest titles for the Messiah in Genesis 49, it speaks of his fierceness and strength, which also, although glimpsed um, in his first coming, does not appear in its fullness until the moment anticipated here. The attributes of Jesus are never given by accident, but all convey a part of his nature. Since the lion is the king of beasts, and since Judah is the ruling tribe of Israel, this indicates that Christ is, is to come as king to reign over all human affairs. So the lion of the tribe of Judah is Jesus, of course. And this is where you understand that he is of David, but he is also David's God. And the Bible teaches that, that even though Jesus descended from David in the flesh, he is also David's God. So he is designated here as the root of David, another clearly messianic title. It anticipates him being a descendant of David, who with devastating force will compel the wicked of the earth to succumb to his authority. This, of course, refers to Jesus' incarnation on his birth with his roots and the family of David. The Bible said he hath prevailed, just indicates that Jesus won the battle. He came against Satan, headed Satan, went head to head with Satan, and he won. He won in a way that no one expected when he died on the cross. So this establishes this premise establishes the fact that he uh, is the only one that is worthy to open this book of seven seals. He was victorious over sin and Satan. He alone lived upon this earth free of sin, so it makes him worthy. So the synopsis of Revelation 4 and 5 is the church is raptured. It's represented there by the four and 20 elders and then in chapter 5, there's this cry for someone to open up this scroll that has seven seals. And we're about to learn what those seven seals are. But they found that Jesus was worthy to open that scroll of seven seals. So beginning tonight in Revelation chapter 6. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 through chapter 19 verse 21 is a lengthy section that details the judgments and the events of the time of tribulation. From its beginning with the opening of the first seal through the seventh seal, the seven trumpets and the seven vials, these are judgments of Christ that are being poured out on this earth to destroy the ungodly and those who rejected the blood of Jesus. So Revelation chapter 6 begins with the seals that represent the beginning of Christ's judgment of unbelievers on the earth during the tribulation period. There's a close similarity between these judgments and the event predicted by Christ in Matthew, 21, Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21 and then other places in the Bible as well. Again, the purpose of this seven-year period of time called the tribulation period is to punish it is to punish unbelievers for their sin and their rejection of Christ. And number two is for Jesus to reveal himself to the Jewish people as their Messiah. So buckle your seatbelt here tonight. I'm not going to present to you Bible fantasy. This isn't a Hollywood horror flick. This is prophetical utterances that were shown to John by God himself. And I can promise you, as sure as God lives, they're going to come to pass. Don't fool yourself here tonight. Please don't fool yourself here tonight. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, I, John, saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. I described the four beasts in our first study a couple of Wednesday nights ago. The lamb here is Jesus Christ, the only one worthy to open the seals. 
Here one of the four beasts or the four living beings says, come and see. So we're invited to look into the heavenly stage and see things never told upon the earth until now. We will see the opening of this first seal, the beginning of the triumph of Christ and his church on this planet. The seals, the seals represent the beginning of Christ's judgment of unbelievers on the earth during the tribulation period. There's a close similarity between these judgments and the events, again, predicted by Christ in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. The first part, this part begins with what is called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm sure everyone here tonight is familiar with the four horsemen. Hollywood has talked about it. Others, politicians, has mentioned it here and there. But there's a sense in our world tonight that nobody really believes it. I'm here tonight to present to this group of people that there's as much truth in this as there is Acts 2.38 in one God. The four horsemen present the picture of man's inhumanity to man. Listen carefully. This is God's judgment being poured out on the earth from man to man. This is God's judgment being poured out on the earth by man to man. They seem to be a divine prediction of the affairs of humankind that will cause much incredible human suffering and even death. This is not new for those in control of the affairs of this world have a history of causing their fellow human beings much suffering with false hopes of peace followed by wars, famines, and death. I will not teach anything tonight that has not already happened on this planet. The only difference between what I'm presenting tonight and what we've seen in the past, what we've seen in the past has been spotty, has been areas here and there, but these events will be worldwide. One of the worst horrors of the tribulation is the many plagues that will strike the world's people, particularly those who reject the Savior and refuse to have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. The judgments are started with the seven seals. And so the Bible said in verse 2, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering, and to conquer. This first seal indicates the worldwide conquest by the false Messiah, the Antichrist. He will be the final Gentile world ruler. If I have time, when we get into Revelation 13, I may teach a Wednesday night on what that terminology means, the final Gentile world ruler. This horseman is not the same as the one described in Revelation 19, verse 11, which is actually Jesus Christ at his second coming. A white horse, the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, is depicted as a rider on a white horse. The rider has a bow but no arrows, indicating that although he is militarily strong, in the beginning he does his conquering through diplomacy. Since he wears a crown... We know that he is successful in his efforts. He has the endorsement, if you will, of the human race. The Bible said his crown was given to him. Who is the rider on that white horse? There can no doubt be that it is the Antichrist who through deceit and clever maneuvering will bring a false peace to the world. But that peace will not last. It will not last. The horse and its rider represent an unparalleled time of world peace, a false peace that is to be short-lived. This peace will be ushered in by the Antichrist. The Bible said, He that sat on him, that sat on the horse, the four horses and their riders do not represent specific individuals, but forces or powers. It's important to note that. Again, I identify this rider with the Antichrist. Although he will be the leading figure, John's point is that the entire world will follow him, being obsessed with pursuing his false promise of peace. 
The bow he carries is a symbol of war, but the absence of arrows implies that this victory is a bloodless one, a peace won by covenant and agreement, not by war. The crown, the word refers to the crown of a laurel wreath awarded winning athletes. It was given to him. Antichrist becomes king, elected by the world's inhabitants, regardless of the cost, and it will conquer and will conquer the entire earth in a bloodless coup. In verses 3 and 4, the second seal is broken, and now it brings war. You need to listen and understand. It brings war and a lack of peace. The sword represents armed conflict in the hand of the second rider. Perhaps the attacks on Israel mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Daniel chapter 11. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 6 verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that set their own to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him, the Bible said, a great sword, the second seal broken. It was granted to the one who sat on the red horse to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Another horse that was red implies its blood red appearance speaks of the holocaust of war. God will grant this horse and its rider the power to create worldwide war. As horrible as this judgment is, as horrible as it is, folks, it will only be the beginning. It's only birth pangs, if you will, of what God has in store through the conduit of judgment and wrath. We believe this seal represents a great World War III, if you will. When challenged, the will uh, of the horseman will respond in deadly fashion, swiftly crushing his enemies and bringing death to the earth on a massive scale never before known. Only since the advent of atomic and nuclear age has it been possible to bring this kind of unimaginable swift destruction to bear on a widely scattered portions of the globe. The Bible said, And power was given to him that set their own to take peace from the earth, that they would kill one another. This would seem to indicate that the condition immediately preceding this was a condition of tranquility, but that, has, but that this was now disturbed by some cause producing discord and bloodshed, that they should kill one another. Violent slaughter will become commonplace. Again, we have seen this already in our world, all around our world, but it's just been in small pockets here and there. This indicates that this will be on a worldwide scale, and I will show you that in just a moment. His purpose is to cause mankind to slaughter one another. The Greek word that is used here means to butcher, to slaughter, or massacre someone. This contains a purpose clause which reveals that peace taken from the earth for the very purpose that mankind should butcher each other. And in the remainder of revelation seals, trumpets, and vile judgment, mankind does this to himself with ruthless skill. The word sword indicates not the long broad sword, but the shorter, more easily maneuvered, one that assassins often used and that soldiers carried into battle. It depicts assassination, revolt, massacre, and wholesale slaughter. We see again the spirit of the war in this red horse. And then we come to the third seal. It represents, in verses 5 and 6, it represents massive inflation and massive famine. Famine is always that that follows war. The balances or scales the Bible mentions, I'll read that in a moment, are related to commerce and trade. The word penny 
better transliterated denarius represents about one day's wage. Wheat and barley are considered necessities of life. The measure, the word a measure is about 1.92 pints. Let's just say two pints. The price given is about 10 times what was normal. The command hurt not the oil and wine may indicate a restriction of the effects of the famine in this early part of the tribulation period. So in verse 5, And when he had come and opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. The third seal is represented by a black horse, black signifying famine. You can read that in Lamentations 5, 8 through 10. Worldwide war will destroy the food supply which spawns global hunger. The pair of balances represent the common measuring device. Two small trays hung from each end of the balance beam indicates the scarcity of food that will lead to rationing and food lines. The pair of balances or scales shows a weighing. This balance also indicates a shortage of food. We see this in the color black and in the balances. The famine will be so great, food will be weighed by the ounce and dispensed carefully. This famine will most likely be as bad as the famine that was in Egypt in Joseph's time. Drought will trigger crop failure, and in many places only the very rich will be able to buy food. The Bible said in verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And I see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The measure of wheat, the approximate amount necessary to sustain one person for one day. For a penny is a day's normal wage. One day's work will provide just enough food for only one person to eat. The three measures of barley usually fed to animals. This grain was low in nutrient and cheaper than wheat. A day's wage provides enough for only a small family's daily supply. Give me a little latitude here tonight, but when you can't afford wheat, you will buy horse food if you're hungry enough and you'll eat it. Since in biblical days, a penny was a common wage for a day's work and a quart of wheat or three quarts of barley, a, a basically sustenance diets, John is indicating that man will have to work all day just to get enough food to eat with nothing left over for the rest of his family, the elderly or the poor. In the parable of the vineyard in Matthew 20, a day's work was a penny. This penny in the verse above that we just read means a full day's pay. I believe this means that a loaf of bread will be so inflated in price because of the scarcity of food that it will take a whole day's wage of a man to buy one loaf of it. So there won't be enough left for your rent, your mortgage, your light bill, your car payment, your insurance. Cannot stress to you folks how horrible. And we're just beginning. We surely know that it is a measure, which is a very small amount. Barley seems to be a third the cost, so perhaps a meager meal of barley, a bowl of dog food, a bowl of cat food, a bowl of horse feed would cost a whole day's wage. The famine will be so great that food will be weighed by the ounce and rationed carefully. This is runaway inflation to its worst possible conclusion. With inflation is coupled with when inflation is coupled with famine, we see a situation more horrible than any of us care to imagine. On the other hand, the call not to harm the oil and the wine or symbols of wealth indicates that perhaps the rich are very wealthy, probably high ranking government officials may do a little okay during this time. Uh, I cannot stress enough that this famine will not be just physical, but spiritual as well. During this time, what churches exist will continue to teach false doctrine, and they'll continue to give false hope. Even now, there's a terrible famine of truth in the church. 
Never have so many denied the virgin birth of Christ, the Red Sea being parted, Jonah being swallowed by a large fish, or even Jesus as God with us, Emmanuel. How much more famine of truth and a lack of hunger can we take? Truly, there will be physical famine, but there will certainly be spiritual famine. The third horseman of the apocalypse who rides out early in the tribulation will take a heavy toll in the death of humanity. The black horse he rides is an obvious symbol of famine and disease which often follows war. This could be a message of hard times for all of mankind. The word black being here used as symbolizing woe and mourning and terrible times, famine, physical and spiritual, evil, the opposite of goodness, everything that opposes God. And then we come to verses 7 through 8. Are y'all with me? The fourth seal brings death. Listen to pastor. The fourth seal brings death to 25% of the world's population. So after the four horsemen of the apocalypse have done their deed, by the time they're done, and we're just a year or two into the tribulation period, 25% of, these, of, the, of the world's population will die. They will die either through war, they'll starve to death in famine, there'll be pestilence produced by the death and the stench of death and so on, I did a little research today. There's about 7.8 billion people in the world today. This means when just the four horsemen are done, four seals out of seven, when they're done, this means that about 1.95 billion people, right at 2 billion people, will die as a result of the four horsemen. I want you to notice with me tonight the horrors that we've already suffered. About 40 million soldiers and civilians died in World War I. About 60 million soldiers and civilians died in World War II. About 5 million soldiers and civilians died in the Korean conflict. About 1,353,000 soldiers and civilians died in the Vietnam War. About 500,000 soldiers and civilians died in Iraq and Afghanistan, bringing that to a total of 106,853,000. As horrible as that is, I would like for you to try to imagine 2 billion. Death takes lives, the Bible said, and hell, or Hades, follows them for judgment. In Revelation chapter verse 7, chapter 6 verse 7, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. This is a phrase often used by the Jew, Jews to stir up attention to what is about to be said. In verse 8, I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed him. The power and power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. The fourth seal, a pale horse or ashen, the Greek word from which we get the English word chlorophyll, comes, describes the pale, ashen, green, palette characteristic of decomposition of a corpse. God grants this horseman the authority to bring to death to 25% of the world's population the word hell or hell follows him as a place of the dead which is identified as a common and fitting partner for death because this horse represents death. John says the rider who sat on this horse was death and hell followed him. One quarter of the earth's population, almost two billion people will die as a result of war, famine, drought worldwide, worldwide and death from many other things that Hades follows death shows that those slain are unbelievers. Pale here means a sickly green color as if sick to death. Death and hell are grouped meaning a termination or end 
of earthly dwelling. I want to stop here in passing outside of the fact that if you die during this time, you will go to hell. But on some level, you'll almost be the, one of the lucky ones not to have to endure the rest of the tribulation period and then go to hell after that. Death is inevitable to every one of us, death in the, of the body that is, but the time, but in that day or time, hell awaits those that die. Those who die will go to hell. This is where I teach that salvation is not available during the, you don't read a great revival during the tribulation period. I really believe that this is a time in the end that is spoken of as a time when literally men's hearts will fail them for fear of the things that are coming on the earth in Luke 21. We have the capability to knock the earth off of its axis with nuclear bombs for fear is rampant not only here in the U.S. but around the world. All it would take is for the wrong man to push the wrong button and total destruction could occur. Satan will be allowed during the tribulation period to take peace from the earth. In verses 9 through 11, the fifth seal, we'll come to those verses in a moment, represents the martyrdom of saints who were martyred throughout the world. And I believe these are people who were martyred prior to the rapture. This is controversial, and I'm not going to debate it with anybody. I believe what I believe. You can believe what you believe. Some believe in salvation after the rapture. Maybe so, but I don't. I believe that if you can't serve God now, how in God's name will you serve him then, especially in the absence of the church? I do not know of any plan of salvation after the rapture other than a refusal to deny the deity of God in the name of Jesus. I believe that number will be very few, but I'm not sure even doing that will save you. The purpose of the tribulation period is people who deny the shed blood of Calvary and we have to understand that. And God is judging them because they denied it. I don't know why he would make an exception after the rapture. I also believe that some of these may be some Jewish people that will be martyred. And finally, I believe that it means people that have been martyred in the past. So in verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of men that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. That doesn't necessarily mean in the tribulation period. There's been countless thousands of people that's been killed since the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost. So the fifth seal describes the force of the saints' prayers for God's vengeance. When the fifth seal is broken, John sees under the altar the souls that were slain for the word of God and the testimony they sell, that they held. Christians martyred for their faith. God tells us, as the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Thessalonians 1, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? And indicating to me they've been there a long time. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? In verses 12 through 14, we'll come to that in a moment. The sixth seal brings natural disasters of various kinds. The earth will be the, the earth and the heavenly bodies will go into convulsions, if you will. Joel chapter 2 talks about that, predicts that many of these judgments in nature as signs of the day of the Lord. Joel 2.30 says, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I believe the great and terrible day of the Lord will actually begin in the second half of the tribulation period. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. I believe that this is talking about Jewish people, not Gentile people. In verse 12, he said, And I beheld, and there was opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. 
and the moon became his blood, the sixth seal. The force described in this seal is overpowering fear. While the first five seals will will result from human activity that God uses to accomplish his purpose, at this point he begins direct intervention in the heavens and through nature. The previous five seals will be precursors or forerunners to the full fury that, that will follow the day of the Lord, which we will begin with the sixth seal in verse 17. I want everybody to keep in mind that 25% of the world's population is already dead. 1.95 billion people. I want everybody to bring this into context. It's hard for me to do this even studying and preparing for this. So when everybody understands the peace agreement that the Antichrist is going to bring, while they're trying to figure out why war broke out, war's doing its damage. And then while they're trying to figure out how to get peace back and stop the war, famine is going to start doing its damage. And then while they're trying to get food supply and, and, and figure all that out, then here comes death and all these people die. And now you have all of these people, all of these corpses. Something has to be done with them. They have to be put somewhere. So while all of this stuff is trying to be reconciled and negotiated and figured out and still trying to explain what happened to the church while these people just vanished and all the spin is going on and all that kind of stuff, then the Bible said... Here comes a great earthquake. The events described in this seal unleash the seventh. When you open the seventh seal, it, 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 it contains seven trumpets and seven vials which are to come. But as this seventh seal is opened, not only is it forecasting <laughs> judgment and wrath, in the seven trumpets and seven vials. But it begins with this earthquake thing. It's a great earthquake. It's a great earthquake. There's been many earthquakes prior to this. Jesus said it would be one of the signs of the end time in Matthew 24, verse 7. But this will be more than just an earthquake. I believe all the earth's fault lines will begin to fracture simultaneously, resulting in a cataclysmic global earthquake earthquakes generally are God's dealing with mankind he's had enough and he booms an earthquake around this planet and he gets everybody's attention figuratively seeking speaking he's make sure you're sitting up straight with both feet on the floor this great earthquake is not one that this world has ever been acquainted with before the Bible said the, the moon would become his blood accompanying the earthquake will be numerous volcanic eruptions and large amounts of ash and debris will be blown into the earth's atmosphere blackening the sun and giving the moon that blood red hue the first four seals i will remind you describe judgments largely largely inflicted by man on man The sixth seal describes a judgment clearly supernatural in origin. John tells of an earthquake so massive, he says that every mountain and island was moved out of its place. We all remember the tsunami, but when you have islands moving around in the sea, can you imagine what kind of tidal disruption that's going to produce water rushing on on land? will no doubt cause enormous volcanic activity. The sun will become black as sackcloth. That's the way it will look from the earth, the moon like blood. Particulate matter scattered in the atmosphere after volcanic eruption has often turned the sky black and made the moon seem to turn red. Can't imagine what even breathing is going to be like during that time. The sixth seal brings natural disasters of various kinds. The earth and heavenly bodies will go into convulsions. Joel 2 that we just read predicts many of these judgments in nature coming through nature as signs of the day of the Lord coming. 
This terrible earthquake is told about in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 19. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake terribly the earth. In Ezekiel 32, 7 and 8, we read about the darkness of the sun, moon, and stars. In Matthew 24, we read of this same thing in the heavens. Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Notice that this occurs at the end of the first three and a half years of the tribulation prior to the start of the great tribulation just before the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. Verse 13 says, The stars of heaven fell into the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Stars of heaven fell. The word stars can refer to any celestial body, large or small, and it's not limited to normal English usage. The best explanation is a massive asteroid or meteor shower. Untimely figs, winter figs that grow without the protection of leaves are easily blown from the tree. The fig tree, physical Israel, rejected Jesus and his so Holy Ghost outpouring in Acts 2. They ultimately rejected it. The Old and the New Testament agree that there will be a time when the heavens will be shaken. Isaiah chapter 7, 13 and 17, Matthew 24, and at least a dozen more chapters in the Old and New Testaments agree that there will be a day, just as this one spoken of, that John saw when the heavens will be shaken. We read again of the commotion in heaven in Luke 21, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You can easily see that this is, a, that this is prophesied not just of John, but by dozens of writers throughout the Bible. In verse 14, the Bible said, And the heaven departed as a scroll, and when it, it, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. The heaven departed as a scroll seems to indicate the earth's atmosphere will somehow dramatically uh, be affected and the sky as we know it will disappear. Every mountain and island are moved under the stress created by global earthquake. Great segments of the earth's plates will begin to slip and shift, potentially realigning whole continents. This earthquake will be so strong that mountains will flatten out and islands will disappear. An earthquake of this magnitude would immediately put up a screen of smoke that nothing in the heavens would be visible. We read in Isaiah 34 a similar scripture. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens will be rolled together as a scroll and all of their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falleth from the vine and as a falling fig from a fig tree. Whatever this is, whatever you want to determine it to be, it is of great magnitude and it is going to wreak absolute havoc on this planet i want you to understand this isn't just one thing but it's one thing and then another thing and then another thing and another thing and tonight we're only halfway there's far worse than this coming so in conclusion tonight verses 15 through 17 as a result of these first six sealed judgments Many believers will want to die and hide from God, but will be unable to do so. This, the great day of his wrath, the day of the Lord, the predicted time of God's judgment of the earth and its inhabitants. This day of wrath is contrasted to the present day of grace. The Bible said it's come. Is come means that God's day of judgment is here. It has finally arrived after hundreds and even thousands of years of being prophesied, having begun with the first six seal, the Bible said in Revelation 6.15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and rich men, and chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. This message, the message in this is, is wealth or position, even they will not have any influence on God's decision. He is not impressed with their importance or their political power. 
We cannot even fall back on being underprivileged or poor. None of this will matter. The only thing that will matter is that what we did about Jesus way back several years ago when we had a chance, that's all that will matter. This really is a time when neither silver nor gold will be able to save people from the wrath of God. Hiding in dens and in the rocks will be of no use because these openings will close up from the earthquake. Men will seek death, but death will not come. And so they finally plead in verse 16 to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that setteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Listen to pastor tonight. The earth finally recognizes where all of this is coming from. For the first time since it began, earth's inhabitants will recognize for the first time the source of all their trouble. Incredibly, prior to this, they will be living life as usual as possible, may I add. The people of the earth will clearly recognize these phenomenon as coming on the coming from the hand of God, for they are said to cry out to the mountains where they take cover, fall on us and hide us from the face of him. They suddenly realize who Jesus is, but it's too late. They have rejected him. Listen to me, those that believe that there will be repentance and forgiveness in the tribulation period. If they were that opportunity, then why won't these people be asking for it? Instead, they'll cry for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the one who sits on the throne. They see him now as this fierce, roaring lion of Judah, not the redeeming, gentle lamb of God, which could have saved them. This tells me that salvation after the rapture will not be possible. Now it's too late. They realize their mistake of rejecting Jesus as their perfect sacrifice. They would rather die right now than face him and be told of their eternity in hell that awaits them. They now even realize that Jesus sits on the throne. What a terrible revelation that you can do nothing about. For the great day of his wrath has come, the Bible said. And who shall be able to stand? The great day. The sixth seal will commence with what the prophets call the day of the Lord. In my opinion, up until this point, God has been as nice as he could be through his wrath. But now his day is coming. It's a great day. And where man has persecuted each other and killed each other and starved each other and all of that kind of stuff, now you're about to see what God is really about. Who will be able to stand, they ask. The answer is no one. The thing we must do is to make sure that we're not left here to face these horrors. The great day spoken of above begins three and a half years of the worst things you could ever imagine. This last day has to be the last judgment. It's doomed for the unbelievers. Remember, Revelation is written to the church, to Christian people. It encourages us to look forward to heaven. No wonder. It also tells us the terrible things that we'll be saved from when the wrath descends on this earth. And it leads true Christians to witness to their friends and family while there's still time. Knowing what is coming, we certainly don't want to leave anyone behind. I said several weeks ago, Sister Murphy and I were sitting in a restaurant eating several weeks ago, and I'm have buried myself into this study and I just wanted to stand up and open a Bible and just start preaching folks you've got to know what's coming you've got to know but it occurred to me had I done that it would have fallen on deaf ears it falls on deaf ears every Sunday it falls on deaf ears tonight it's fallen on deaf ears tonight there's people who walk out of here tonight and not really that much in your life will change you'll still try to compromise and negotiate your way through a relationship with God 
But when the trumpet sounds, Rick Weiser, one of my one of my highly respected minister friends, pastors in New Orleans, preached here several times in the past. And he made a statement one time I've never forgotten. He was flying somewhere to preach at a church. He was evangelizing back then. And he was sitting in an airport reading a book. And he's an avid reader. I have no idea what that man's library must look like. But he was sitting there reading. Just got just really just engrossed in his book. And he didn't hear the announcer at the podium say it's time to board. They say that over and over and over. They repeat it over and over and over. If you've ever flown, if you don't hear that, I don't know what to say. He sat there, rose such and such through such and such, rose such and such through such and such. And they say it over and over, and we all know that. He was so engrossed in his book, and all of a sudden, something came on him, and he looked up, and he watched his airplane backing out and getting ready to take off. You do not understand the horror that's going to come to you when you have been so engrossed in your own life, whether it be bitterness, hatred, worldliness. I hope there's people watching on live stream. You're not going to experience more horror than to realize the rapture just took place and you missed it. The climate we're living in today, not, this ain't based on America. This is around the world. Our world's in trouble, folks. If, you, if you're so naive and don't believe that, I don't know what to say. We're in trouble. The financial trouble this world's about to come into is unbelievable. Our American debt is unbelievable. Europe is about bankrupt. Russia's about bankrupt. China's about bankrupt. I, everybody's going bankrupt. We have states in our own country that's going bankrupt. Nobody's doing nothing about it. Just keep printing money. Sooner or later, you meet your Waterloo. The world's not getting better. And if they find a vaccine for COVID, I read today that there's already another one being prepared. And I'm not going to call any names, but there's another virus being prepared that wants to be unleashed on the United States. It's supposed to be worse than the one we're in right now. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to do the Hollywood horror flick and you're going to be scared to go to bed tonight. I want you to meet Jesus face to face now before you meet him face to face in the scripture I just concluded with tonight. Don't think you know people. Uh, I read about these people that have dug bunkers in their backyard and they filled it up with 25 years of food. I applaud them for their effort, but it's not going to help. And what I just shared with you tonight for the past 50 minutes is just the tip of the iceberg. Because I'm going to teach in the next couple of weeks. I have a missionary this coming Wednesday night, but after that, I'm going to teach that the next coming plagues that God's going to pour out is going to be through demons. It's going to be demonic. And then the last ones will be God Himself. It'll take Him seven years to accomplish it. And by the time He's done, all the earth will know Him. We know Him now, and you need to act on that knowledge if you're not right with God. I encourage you tonight, if you want to get up and run to this altar, we'll pray with you. I'm not going to beg, but if you want to come up here and pray, we'll pray with you. If you want to go home tonight before you go to bed and get your heart right with God, you do whatever it takes. It's not going to get better. Father, tonight we love you. For your grace and your mercy extended towards this group of people tonight, I can't understand. When summarily the vast majority of our world lives its daily life every day, the only time they acknowledge you is through cursing and swearing and they associate you with their vulgarity. There's open pronouncement of that you don't exist. There's all kinds of accusations hurled at you every day. But somehow or another, this group of people have been given the ultimate privilege to to sit and hear the word of God 
and what's coming on this planet. And according to the word of God, you could come tonight. The trumpet could sound before we leave this building. Yes, it could. And we've got to be ready for that. And, and so what if you don't come for another 50 years? What would we have missed to have gained heaven? You teach that principle. I pray tonight that when people hear this, they don't just summarily file it away and forget about it in two or three days and go on with their life. But I pray that it stays with them when they lay down at night, when they get up in the morning, and when they sit down to eat, and when they're sitting with their families and consider by them not doing what they need to do, they're going to subject their children to this. And family and friends that they could influence. Pray that we could understand the sobriety of this moment. Of how serious this is. This is the word of God and there's not a prophecy in it that's failed. It's all come to pass exactly like you said. I pray God we don't dismiss it. I pray we don't file it away and forget about it. But I pray that we'd give it the due diligence it deserves. By drawing as close to you as we can. Serving you with gladness with all of our hearts. Pray that you would bless our churches, all of our churches, all of our churches around the world. Pray for our pastors, that they stand strong and firm in their pulpits and preach what thus saith the word of God. We ask you, God, to have your way and let your will be done in these final hours. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being here. Remember social distancing, but if you can, wave at somebody, give them an elbow bump, whatever you feel. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning in Jesus' name. Don't speak in vain.